everybody, got a bonus episode for you this week, and my guest is Jonathan Bingham. He's the founder of Janeiro Digital. Now, the reason this is a bonus episode is that I recorded this and basically just had to get it out. The decentralized web is something that I've been looking at in a fair amount of detail. I think the ability of completely changing the way that we own and control our own data is fundamental to the internet just being able to function as we go forwards. I think the centralized model that we have at the moment where pretty much everything goes through a big tech company. So whether you're hosting a website, you're going on social media, pretty much everything's going to go through that Amazon, Facebook, Google, or you know one of the others. Now, what the decentralized web is doing is instead of that data being owned by those companies, putting individuals in control. Now, Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the internet, has built a platform called Solid, which sits on top of the regular internet and allows for certain architecture to be developed. Now, Janeiro Digital are a company that utilize that, harnessing the power of the decentralized web, and frankly, they make it work. So for companies, organizations, they are the ones that can architect and execute technologies that will digitally transform them and put them firmly on the decentralized web, allowing them to then put individuals in control of their own data. Now, this is extremely relevant to healthcare, where, where you think about in the NHS or widely in healthcare in the UK, you can have lots of different organizations who have different data records on you. There's no central single source of truth. The decentralized web and what Janeiro Digital are doing can fundamentally change that. And this has been talked about for a long time. We've seen things like vaccine passports, there's talk of blockchain, there's all these different things, but you're gonna hear from someone today, Jonathan, who's the founder of this company, and you're gonna hear how this is practically possible. You're going to hear how it's not only something that might be considered for the future, but it's actually happening now. There are trials and pilots going on in companies and organizations like the NHS, where this is actually happening now. Individuals can be in control of their own data. They can do deals with companies, organizations to trade that data for certain things, making it ethical, making it moral. It becomes a really interesting future that we have and Jonathan is going to explain all of that to you today so I hope you enjoy it. So Jonathan welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well thanks for having me James. You're very welcome. Whereabouts are you speaking to us from today Jonathan? I am speaking to you from lovely Key West Florida. Oh glorious glorious. Are you uh have you sailed there? Have you driven there? Have you flown there? Yeah, I've done all, uh, <laughs> but I'm currently uh, doing this podcast aboard my sailboat, Robin Hood. Oh my goodness, that is glorious. Perhaps a sneak preview of uh, some of the success you've had there. But <laughs> um, look, it'd be really interesting for our listeners, Jonathan, for you to tell your story, because I, I, I know a bit about your background. We've obviously talked previously and doing some stuff with you guys with Janeiro and Transform, but it'd be great for our audience to hear a bit about your story, a bit about your journey, how you got to where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Gosh, uh, my, my career in technology actually started a research firm called uh, Forrester Research back when I was maybe 26 or so years old. So, you know, God, 21 years ago. Um, <laughs> Interestingly enough, at the same time, my uh, younger brother, Justin, the CTO of uh, Gennaro Digital, had been working at a, uh, an ISP 
and had been noodling through some different ways to uh, address some security concerns at the ISP, right? Their main concerns, mm -hmm. it wasn't a big concern around uh, hackers booking around as long as stuff didn't go down. So, um, you know, when you put an entrepreneur into a place like Forrester Research and you have all these brilliant individuals writing research about, you know, various different topics, we started poking around in the security sector and uh, noticed that there was a pretty big market for that. So, um, gosh, I think around 19... 99 or 2000, uh, Justin and I founded our first company in the security sector and learned a lot with that business. And we were kind of years ahead of our time around really inventing insider threat detection and, uh, you know, technologies to be able to detect that once people have broken into large scale environments, uh, something that's still you know, incredibly relevant today. We ran that company together. Um, you know, Justin, I remember when we uh, closed our first deal. I think he was 18 or 19. So he wasn't even technically wow. old enough to, uh, to share in the champagne. Uh, <laughs> but we definitely snuck him a glass. Um, you know, so uh, we ran that company for about seven years and actually ended up um, shutting the company down because it just was too ahead of its time. And, uh, you know, we learned a lot. And I remember, you know, one of our friends who actually worked at the venture capital company uh, that had been backing us said, you know, there's two types of entrepreneurs. There's ones that, you know, try something once and, and, and learn a ton and, you know, then quit and go back and, you know, work for the man. And then there's others that, you know, even when you have, you know, something that should have been a success and, you know, for various factors and reasons wasn't, uh, they buckle down and they focus on, you know, what's the next idea. And that's what we did. So, you know, I feel like at that point on, we were dubbed true entrepreneurs and not just, you know, one time hit. <laughs> uh, and we went on to, uh, to start another company in the music space and uh, oh, cool. that parlayed itself, believe it or not, into Genero Digital. So, you know, really what Genero Digital is, is, uh, you know, helping take really big ideas uh, as a services business and help people create products that don't exist. So it was very fitting, I think, for, you know, the... 10 years or so that Justin and I had done around creating products, both in uh, B2B and B2C, to then be able to be in a position to, you know, really help other people uh, with their ideas. And uh, that's how Genero Digital originally was born. Very cool. What were you doing in the music space? Yeah, so, you know, we were trying to create a repeatable distribution channel, uh, really where, you know, you give artists and fans an opportunity to connect and promote each other. Sure. Um, and then once they do that, the artist retains that connection to, you know, all the fans that they're introduced to. So kind of, you know, refer a friend. Uh, and then anytime they had a new song come out, they could just push that, you know, to the new distribution channel. What we found was uh, there are a lot of great ways to solve some of the challenges in the music space, but there are so many people that are looking to get a penny out of each dollar uh, it seems like it, the dollar needs to add to a dollar and 20 cents. So, um, as we were doing that, we were having other people come to us and ask, you know, could we help them in the venture capital uh, world with, with a couple of their portfolio companies, build some technology because we had gotten really good at cloud technology because the music company was based there. And that's, this was probably 2007 or eight when it was just really, you know, uh, a nascent market. And um, we had gotten really good at using distributed teams, which is, you know, something that uh, gave us some, some good, you know, kind of uh, price co uh, competitiveness yeah. uh, to other people in the market. And it's something we were using for ourselves. So we basically took our process and knowledge that we had built up around the music space and, you know, our product uh, and product marketing experience uh, 
and we started building stuff for other people. I think within like the first week, we closed a million dollar deal. And we were like, oh my God, Whoa. this is way better than the music. <laughs> <laughs> was that investment or was that a contract? No, it was a contract. Wow. Yeah. Revenue. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in our first company, a security company, we raised, you know, I think close to 16 million. But, um, you know, with Genero Digital, you know, Justin and I have funded that ourselves uh, based wow. off, you know, great companies uh, and great customers. Very cool. I want to go back to one thing you mentioned about the two types of entrepreneurs, obviously the ones that will have that experience, go through it and then sort of go back into work. The others that keep going and pursue something different. Do you think that's because I suppose in the process of building your first company and going through things at that level, you know, raising 60 million, all these different things, it probably gives you a heck of a lot of self-awareness, doesn't it? As to where you actually fit in the ecosystem of work and what you should be doing. And I suppose if you're, if you're born for it, if, or if you've learned enough to want to do it again, I suppose, then you, then you keep going. Right. But then I suppose a lot of people go through that and realize that actually it just isn't for them. And I think that's okay. It's totally okay. I, I think that you know, being an entrepreneur, it, it can be really exciting. It can, uh, you know, everybody feels like they want to do it once, but it takes a certain type of mental fortitude to be able to, you know, really withstand a lot of the challenges and pressures uh, that come with running a business. Yeah. Uh, no longer just about you and this product. You have employees, you have people's lives, you know, the yeah. kids count on, you know, everybody yeah. uh, making things happen. So, you know, I think that that's one aspect. And the other is, you know, one of the, the biggest things I learned between my first company and now was, it, it, you know, it's very easy to fall into this roller coaster mindset as an entrepreneur where, you know, you celebrate these peaks like so intensely. And then, you know, when you hit a valley, you know, you're just devastated. And, you know, it's really hard to be able to, you know, live your life as an individual if you don't have an ability to really smooth that line out, yeah. smash it into a flat line. And just say, okay, we're just going to live here in the middle. And though, you know, we'll pay attention to, you know, some of our missteps and we'll certainly celebrate, you know, some of our, uh, our wins, you, you just have to be able to manage that mentally yeah. uh, to be able to plug through it. And I think once you establish, you know, that knowledge, you, you can actually be a lot more strong uh, as a leader and you can be much more effective uh, as an operator. Yeah, really nice point. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, this roller coaster mindset. And it seems to me that if you do allow yourself to feel those highs and you do celebrate them, especially as a, in a leadership position of the company, that wave of celebration and optimism will bleed into everybody in that, in, in that company, in that community. But similarly, if you allow yourself to celebrate those highs, it does mean that you're you're similarly going to feel those lows. What goes up must come down, right, ultimately. And I think you're absolutely right that smoothening out those lines is, I believe, and something that I am learning and have learned certainly, is the role of a good leader in a company. I think that is definitely something which allows for the success because everybody can get motivated when the highs are happening, everybody can feel more energized. Everybody can end up doing 10 times more, becoming more efficient, working harder. It's easy because you're in that environment. But then 
you don't, that's not going to hurt the company when you return back to normal. But what is, is if you, if you have felt those highs, you're also going to feel the low. So you're going to get slower. It's going to be like wading through treacle. People are going to get fearful and all those things in the troughs. And that's definitely what people want to avoid. Um, yeah. yeah and, and I think COVID has, you know, certainly created a lot of challenges. Really good point. So, you know, one of the things that is always difficult, you know, for a leader is to be able to, you know, share in the burden of some of the lows. And I think that, you know, with COVID, it, it, it was unavoidable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, everybody had their business stall uh, for a period of time. I mean, you know, God forbid you were in the restaurant, you know, business the challenges there. But even within the technology sector, everybody kind of froze additional spending. You know, people tried to do more with less so that they could really retain their employees. Everyone was just trying mm-hmm. to protect uh, protect their staff and make sure that, you know, we all get through this thing together. But what we found in, in something that I'm still learning uh, is really important is when you have a prolonged moment like this of, of challenge, you really have to make sure that you're, you know, expressing what is the view of the business? How is the business going to operate? How are you going to get through this stuff? And you have to be a lot more transparent, I think, uh, than is required when everything's hunky dory and rosy. People just want to hear, you know, are, are we growing at the clip that we want to? Are we going to get our yeah. bonuses? But you know, when you're looking at how do we make sure that you know we're going to be operationally efficient to be able to come out of the other side of this thing, it takes a different type of disclosure to the employee base. And I think that you know it can be perceived by a leader as you know something that'll be you know uh, received with you know. Uh, less than open arms, but we found it quite the opposite, that the more, you know, that we can express about what we're doing, what are the steps we're making here, uh, the, the tighter the team really got. Yeah, I love that. And also you are in a way they're protecting downside as well, because then if you have been honest, transparent, you've communicated often and well with that employee base, if you do have to make difficult decisions and throwing words like furlough out there, then those things might not come so much as a surprise and there can be some empathy there deployed by everybody involved. And I think, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a good way of doing things. Um, I just want to ask you one more question on this, which is when you were moving from that first to the second business, and it sounds like um, you and Justin had, so much optimism, right? In, in that we can do this. Do you, do you think that entrepreneurs are born or do you think they're made? Um, oof, that's a good question. Um, you know, well, I let's, think, let's go this way. Yeah. Do you think you were a born entrepreneur or do you think that those were skills that you learned? I think that I was lucky. So I, yes, I would definitely say that I was born an entrepreneur, right? I was always trying to hustle something up. And I always knew I wanted to go to school just to, you know, run a company one day. Right. I remember right. at one point, one of my mom's friends told me when I was like 12, I'd make a great salesman. And I was so <laughs> offended. I was like, Oh my God, all I could think of was like a used car salesman. Um, you know, was nothing wrong with that, but you know, it, uh, it's interesting for me because I have always had that desire to, to run something, but I happen to, you know, been fortunate to work with my brother, who's, you know, mm. one of the most brilliant technical minds uh, that I've ever come across. And I'm not just saying that because he's my brother, but you know, when you have an ability to kind of share those two kind of operational business side of the house with, you know, the technical side of the house, 
I think that it's given us some longevity that, you know, someone having to wear both of those hats, uh, they might've burnt out by now already. Mm. That's awesome. So let's talk about some tech then. Yeah. Genera Digital, you guys essentially, you solve big problems with technology for people with big budgets. And, you know, we've talked about million dollar contracts and things like that. That's obviously an extremely relevant skill set. And as you said, your brother being such a bright technical mind, you having the business mind, it's quite a formidable team. How did you, we've met, you talked about how you got going, but obviously this yeah. is the health tech podcast, right? And so I'm interested in, in plotting the path into healthcare for you guys how and why did that happen talk us through the journey of Genero yeah, digital absolutely so you know when Genero started out as i mentioned earlier uh we were working with really big companies that you know had uh mostly back office problems to solve so anything that required a lot of data a lot of systems and trying to make use of that um people would come to us and say there's not a technology out there that you know we can find uh, so we don't need an integrator, we need an inventor, somebody that can sit down and, uh, and really create an application for us. So, you know, we still do that digital transformation work. Uh, you know, we were, you know, uh, vendor to watch and, you know, cool vendor for Gardner back in 2017, uh, really, you know, around those types of processes that we had, the technical capabilities, uh, and also a platform that we had started creating called Transform uh, back in, I think, 2015. Uh, so as a services business, we used to see a lot of, you know, repetition in some of these big enterprise applications that we would build. So we created this transform uh, platform to be able to serve as foundational technology. It would allow us to, you know, build things in a more stable way. Uh, it would allow us to build things faster and uh, give us a real, you know, advantage over a lot of our competition. When you say build things, what things yeah. are built on transform? Mostly. So if you think about... Um, monitoring and diagnostic systems for uh, nuclear power plants. Yeah. So, you know, trying to make sure that people aren't using post-it notes, you know, using 20 year old monitoring systems anymore. Uh, so we modernize that architecture and, you know, in essence, make sure that we don't have uh, nuclear meltdowns. Right. So, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sounds important. Like, <laughs> stuff like that. So, uh, you know, not websites, more stuff like that, that we're yeah. focused on. Uh, back-end banking systems, you know, things of that nature. Wow. Uh, and, you know, in, in essence, what happened is about three years ago, a former uh, board member of ours came into our office and said he was working on a project and, and would like our help. Uh, and that really steered us into uh, this world called Solid, which uh, Tim Berners-Lee has been, you know, championing over at MIT for several years now. Um and, you know, Justin and, and Tim hit it off. We had a great relationship and, and still do with Inrup, uh, which is his uh, new company founded out of, uh, out of MIT. Um, and then we started to transform, literally. So step one for us uh, was this introduction into the decentralized web. And, you know, really what happened for us is, uh, you know, we started looking at what Tim had originally envisioned the web to be and where it ended up today, where data is now really centralized around large organizations uh, instead of around the individuals, which was his original vision always for the web. So, you know, Justin and our role in that, um, you know, was really how can we take this concept of solid, which, you know, at its uh, core is around these personal online data stores, pods, and, you know, see how we can get the web to redirect itself 
And, you know, we started looking long and hard at, you know, how could these pods be put into circulation? How can we get people to start building applications so that you can use this personal online data store in a way, um, you know, that, that would give you some type of value. And we saw a real kind of cold start problem with that, right? And the old chicken and the egg. You know, I always use the example, no one's going to build, you know, iPhone apps if there weren't already, a, you know, a couple hundred million iPhones out into population, right? So with the decentralized web, what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to get pods into circulation, and then we're trying to build applications that will give people value out of that pod. And what we found was the best way to do that, uh, really, instead of having developers build applications and then people come and ask for a pod, we would go to countries and large organizations that could get some immediate business value out of deploying pods on behalf of their constituents. Um, and in doing that, we started getting a lot of interest in the healthcare sector, uh, specifically over in the UK with NHS. Awesome. Now, I'm going to walk our listeners through this a little bit because that, <laughs> that went from naught to 100 pretty quickly. <laughs> um, but it's, it's funny, though, because it really, it really can be that quick to get to what you've described as these pods, these personal online data stores. And I suppose starting with the problem that you're solving here. So essentially, and, and I know a fair amount about this. I know there's lots of different companies that have tried doing this. It's definitely a hot topic in particularly NHS circles and in healthcare more generally. The fact that people don't have control of their own data. And that is fundamentally the biggest issue. And I suppose where we're at now with what you described as a centralized system, Tim Berners-Lee, the founder of the internet, essentially obviously built the internet for something slightly different. It's ended up being a land grab by big tech companies. So all of our data is flowing through those big tech companies. And we're just not sure what that data actually is, where it's going, all those different things. There's obviously this, this, now change into what the second version of the internet is going to be. That's the project that you're describing as solid, um, which is super interesting, super fascinating. But that new infrastructure for the internet is then going to allow uh, you guys with Transform, your platform that you build applications on top of, to sit on solid and create these personal online data stores. Now, what this is going to do from the sounds of things and conversations that we've had previously is it literally puts people in control of their data again. So from a front end perspective, what would this look like in healthcare to an individual? Yeah. So, you know, when NHS came to us, there was a, you know, a really a touching use case that they had uh, that they had presented and, and really asked, you know, can solid and transform address something like this. And it was a girl named Tamara who was 12 years old, uh, who had, you know, chronic asthma. However, she had gone into urgent care, I think 42 different times. And each time the systems were so disconnected that she was treated as a first time patient. Yeah. And Tamara ended up having an asthma attack and died. Um, you know, during the review of that case, uh, NHS was able to determine that if Tamara had, you know, a single record, right? A centralized record around her. Then when she went in the second or third time to be treated at any urgent care, and they had access to that centralized data store around Tamara, 
she would have been treated differently. She would have had a completely different care path and she most certainly would have been alive still. Um, so, you know, it really hits home. And I, I think mm -hmm. that, you know, when you think about what a pod is, it, it's if, if you put a bubble around yourself, it's your entire digital identity from that point forward. And even historically, if you can find the data still, uh, and you are in control of that data, but you also just have it collected in one space. And if anyone's ever been sick or tried to help care for someone who is sick, um, you know, you have to move from one hospital to another, you're shuffling around with, you know, paper files and, you know, CDs and, and it's really difficult. Yeah, hundred percent. And your view then on how this will actually look. So hypothetically speaking, personal online data stores could be distributed across entire nations right easily if a government signed up they could they could say okay we'll have personal online data stores sat on the solid platform everybody gets one how does that person then practically give that data to who needs it is it sort of like yeah, so a blockchain crypto key kind of thing is uh, it is it different no, i mean not, talk to me about blockchain. that so in essence, think of, uh, first off, the challenge that you have, right? You have NHS, in this particular case, one of the largest, you know, most complex and distributed, uh, you know, health systems in the world, for sure, uh, and are always, you know, on the bleeding edge of, uh, of innovation, trying yeah. to figure things out over there. Um, the first thing that you have to do is get the information that's necessary to have a complete picture of who your digital health is into your pod. And that's really what Transform does. So Transform will sit between all the traditional infrastructure and systems, and it will talk using you know, uh, either Fire or HL7, and it will take this information and it will put it into a pod. And then if new information comes into a pod, it can take it and put it into the right health system. So it's you know number one about having a bi-directional communication between the pod and all the traditional systems without having to throw everything away. So, you know, that's what Transform does in order to get these pods to be usable. So the, you know, the UK can sit there and say, you know, we want to put 70 million pods into circulation. We'll use Transform as a, you know, interpreter to be able to move and connect to all the systems that we have and seamlessly put those uh, into a pod. Now, as an individual, you have that health record that's at your fingertips that in theory, if you just had a baby the day that they rolled this out, um, would be cradle to grave, as they say. Every, every single thing that you've ever done uh, can go into that. Now, when we start talking about consent, that's really where you know, Solid gets interesting because what Solid does is not just you know, serve as a you know, data store for an individual, but it creates ecosystems. So now, Let's say that I um, am a Fitbit company or somebody along those lines, and I want to be able to take my health data and put that data into a pod. Well, an entrepreneur or a company like Fitbit can write a decentralized application that interfaces with Solid. Uh, we've contributed you know, heavily on a lot of the interoperability standards, so you can check that stuff out at solid.org. Uh, but that data associated with all of your steps can go into your pod and it stays in your pod. 
So if all of a sudden Garmin comes out with a new decentralized app uh, and you like their service better, you can switch to Garmin. But what's nice is you don't lose the historical data that you've been building up with Fitbit uh, because that stays with you. And really that's where fundamentally things start to change in a decentralized world. Data used to always be collected from you and stored within that third party, you know, uh, website, vendor, organization, whoever it is. And they literally become more valuable by collecting all of our individual data. Uh, and they somewhat lock us into their service because we don't want to lose the historical value that we've helped create. In this case, you can switch anytime you want without losing your historical data because that application needs to ask your consent to be able to have access to it. And as you build it up over time, it stays with you. If you no longer want to use a product or service, you, know, you, you don't want to use Fitbit anymore because Garmin came out with something cooler and you just think it's a better fit for you, uh, you can just switch without losing any of that historical Fitbit data. Now, why is that important? Uh, well, let's say that you've decided you would consent to giving your general practitioner at NHS access to your steps. Now, why would you do that? Well, maybe you have high blood pressure or maybe you just had knee surgery and your doctor, instead of having you come in every week for a re-examination, might have said, you know, if you can get up to 8,000 steps uh, a day, um, then there's no need for another visit. And you can give access to that data that you're now putting into your pod that NHS has you know, um, nothing to do with. And you can push that into the NHS systems and you can get a better level of care by introducing new types of data that never would exist um, if we were just focused on bringing your cradle to grave data from NHS to you. This is incredible. And I think the bit that really hits home for me is is when you talk about changing the direction of reading writing and storing data because as you've just mentioned the if if you're a fitbit type of company which say garmin or any of the others they are the ones that increase their value as a company by collecting their data because they are allowed to store it what are, what you are saying is that in this new way of doing things the data is stored in your personal online data store which is owned by the individual yeah. but it can work both ways james mm. so as you're starting to you know expand the amount of information in your pod um you know whether it's just pure health data or maybe it's your um you know mobile location data from your cell phone or um you know, it, it's some of your browsing history, you know, it, it's your shopping habits, all that stuff you can start building up your own profile with. Now, if all of a sudden Fitbit says, we've got an idea for a new product and service, uh, it would require some access to some of your, you know, health record. It would require some access to, um, you know, maybe your uh, digital scale, uh, your Bluetooth scale, it might require some of your cellular mobility data, and we're going to come up with this new whiz-bang product and service for you. This is an entirely new opportunity for Fitbit, because all Fitbit ever could do was collect the data that their device sent back to them. And now what we're saying is a pod can be getting inputs of data from all types of systems around the world wow. that the individual is now in control of. What this now means is Fitbit can look at the types of data that's in a pod and say, oh my gosh, we have a, an entirely new business idea that we can offer this person back. 
And that's really this notion of a universal data set uh, that the pods create. And as an entrepreneur, this is where it gets really cool. What is really exciting about this universal data store is that you know the big organizations out there have such an enormous competitive advantage against entrepreneurs because they have the data. So if yes. somebody comes out with an incredible product or service, they can replicate that product or service, push it out to their user base, and they stymie innovation from the small guys. Um, this way, if you have a great idea and you come up with a great product and everybody's using pods and their digital identity is contained within this and they're in control of who can have access to that and who can't, then if you have a great idea, you're gonna have just as great a chance of success uh, as somebody who's been collecting and centralizing data for years. Yeah, the playing field is completely leveled, isn't it? Because yeah. essentially you are just doing a deal for yeah. that person's data. I think the interesting thing there for me, as it applies to healthcare, whether we think about it B2C or B2B, like either way, the amount of power that the individual has to essentially just craft whatever i was gonna say life they want i mean ultimately yes if, if you know pods and the data is across everything but in healthcare let's say they do want to give their data to a pharma company for a clinical trial or they want to gift it to that pharma company or they want to do a deal for it they want something in return whether that's financial or otherwise i suppose this infrastructure allows a genuine exchange of yeah. value Right, because when you actually put the individual in control, uh, you can do a lot more things, right? As, as opposed to having to ask somebody who might be in charge of someone's data, you know, if you can have access to that data, uh, which is the way that the world works today uh, at best. So yeah, I mean, the, the opportunities really become endless when you actually give the individual the power to choose. It's like, you know, it, it, it's amazing that that's something that has to be reinvented, right? To give us choice and yeah. to give us options. Uh, but that's really the brilliance behind Solid and Tim and, and you know, all the team members behind uh, that effort is that, you know, it, it, it's elegant in its simplicity, as my brother always says. Mm -hmm. That's when you know it's a good technology. <laughs> Definitely. There is so much complexity behind simplicity, as we've said a few times on this podcast. It's funny, I was going to ask you who benefits, really. And I think the interesting thing is that by restructuring and doing the restructure well and doing the restructure properly, it becomes a win-win for everybody because it just changes the way that the deal is done. Because on the one hand, as you say, you, you could argue that you're removing the ability of those big tech companies to gain an asset, but that's not the right way of thinking about it. You're enabling them to produce so many more business models based on a fair exchange of their data. And I think any company that then has even the slightest moral compass towards the green rather than the red or the black, whatever you want to call it, it will just enable so much like orders of magnitude more opportunity in that, yeah, in that scenario. The reason that people are so willing to give up their data these days uh, is because they want a great user experience. Yeah. Right? And the only way organizations can give a great user experience right now is to have rich data. Mm. So you know, they need to ask you for more, meaning you're giving away more of your digital self in order to give you back 
what you want, which is a better experience, you know, a richer, uh, you know, set of features, uh, what have you. What Solid does is solve that without having to have, you know, the organization ask for all your data. Because, you know, if I'm Airbnb, I'm only going to get the data that I either pay for out in the open market or that I collect when people use my Airbnb, you know, application or website, right? That's mm. it. But if Airbnb has, you know, access to other types of data and you're willing to consent to give that to them, it could open up an entire new portfolio, again, of products and services for Airbnb because it could have something to do with, again, you know, um, you know, shopping habits or, yeah. you know, uh, your TripAdvisor uh, searches or your Yelps. Um, you know, you can give access to all that type of stuff and they can make sure that they give you a much more curated and feature rich experience without having to violate your trust. Yeah. Like, yeah, I get it. it it's, <laughs> it's funny to me. It's uh, it, when something's too good to be true or sounds too good to be true. It generally is right. And I, I think that, but this, I, I, I plot the path pretty credibly from where we are now to, to that future. Where, yeah. Whereabouts are we now on that path? Do pods yeah. exist? Are there people knocking around with pods right now? Does Solid exist? Absolutely. So, you know, Solid has grown up a lot over the last, you know, several years. Um, you know, Tim, obviously one of the most brilliant people uh, you'll ever meet. Uh, but the team in general that works on Solid is diverse and it's global. Um, and, you know, they're constantly working through some of the most challenging things to make sure that this isn't just an academic idea, but actually can be used in the real world um, right now. So yes, pods are being deployed. Uh, pods are, you know, in production and, you know, social health systems like NHS pods are giving value to people in, in incredible new ways. And I think that, you know, from our standpoint, one of the things that we were trying to accomplish, as I said earlier, as an organization, is to get pods deployed globally in a way that wasn't controversial. And for us, healthcare, using a pod uh, in healthcare to be able to give people the convenience and you know, the, the you know, improved care of that record, that's just step one, but it gets the pods into circulation at a national level quickly where people can then start writing applications outside of healthcare to take advantage of it. So, you know, from our standpoint at Gennaro, you know, we're now a health focused company. So, you know, what we're trying to do is create this transform platform alongside pods that can sit between any traditional system in any industry and be able to create a bi-directional flow of information uh, in and out of these pods. So for us, you know, our, our goal was twofold originally one, figure out the best way to get pods into circulation so that people see a market opportunity and they start to build other products and features so that you have something to do with your pod. Uh, the second was within healthcare, we thought that we could accomplish the first and also help people have a better life. Um, so have a better, a better access to their health information, create an ecosystem of, you know, different types of products and services in the private market that could interface with that. But at its core, it all comes down to making sure that the individual 
as consent. Mm. I think that's the thing that comes through of this whole thing, right? Which is that at the end of the day, this is the right thing to do. There's no, there's no argument there. Nobody's turning around saying, oh, well, people shouldn't have control of their own data. People shouldn't right. be able to do a fair exchange of value. It's one of those, you know, you hear this in entrepreneurship quite a lot, don't you? It's, it's one of those things where it's like, if, if not now, then when? And if not me, then who? It, it feels like that, right? It feels like this is this is a fundamental change that's going to happen. And by the way, I've, I've, I remember being in conversations about this six, seven years ago. Not not obviously the way it's produced now, you know, solid and transform and, and how it's, you know, structured into pods, not that conversation specifically. But in terms of how are we going to get people in control of their own data? How are we going to have a universal set of uh, health data uh, that that basically people can reskin for different hospitals and different areas and it'll yeah. be the same things pulled into different locations so that if you go to one a and e an emergency department you can go to another one and it'll show the same records i've been ha- you know i've been in these conversations for for years and years and years yeah. but the but the practical application of it has always been the challenge and i think it's interesting that you guys have actually chosen health is the, yeah. is the place to go. Well, we in, like in to all, say health chose us. <laughs> say that again, John. I said, we like to say health chose us. Um, <laughs> of course. So, you know, we weren't really, a, we weren't going out and saying healthcare is the way. We were trying to figure out what are the largest scale, you know, kind of deployments that an organization could do on behalf of mm. its user base. Mm. Because really, you know, it, it's not like people are going to go download a pod. Uh, you know, if they're, you know, working with their social health care institution, they're just going to log in uh, like they normally would. And behind that login is going to be a pod that's going to have a centralized view of their entire care plan at their fingertips. Now, what they will notice is this new thing around consent and anything outside of, you know, the data that NHS is trying to provide to them, uh, you know, to, to have them have a better care plan like the Fitbit example, or let's say, you know, they're using like some kind of health monitoring tool like Cradle. Um, They have to give consent to that tool and they can take that consent away. So, you know, it isn't like this futuristic thing moving stuff along the glass with your hands. Um, It's going to feel pretty normal to a user. It's just that when people want to touch your data outside of, you know, your social uh, healthcare organization, they need to ask your permission. And I mean, who the heck doesn't want to have their permission? <laughs> so, <now? laughs> it's so basic, isn't it? It's, it just seems so basic. Um, right? But this, but this does feel like a course correction. It does feel like we've got to the point that the internet is at right now in a yeah. centralized way. It has worked yeah. for many. It has worked extremely well for the few. But it seems that this is a course correction now. And I, I mean, I suppose what what you know what better organizations to work with than those that founded the internet in the first place to actually create the layer that sits on top to allow it to be decentralized and then yep. you guys communicating with the companies that can make good things happen. It seems it seems super exciting. So what what's next for you guys? Whereabouts exactly is this in yep. terms of when can we look forward to this? In, in yeah, no, I mean it's now. happening now. I think that this is a real pivotal year for Solid. Um, you know, it's getting traction. You know, through numerous companies, not just us, uh, Inrup's doing an incredible job uh, with their enterprise server. So they've got, you know, an enterprise scale, you know, ultra secure 
uh, pod server that, um, you know, went into production this year. Um, you know, we think that, you know, the platform transform that we created that gets to sit between, you know, all the systems out there, you know, that, uh, that exist and the pod is really a pivotal piece because nobody wants to sit there and throw hundreds of millions of dollars of investment away just to, you know, embrace this new thing. So it's around removing the barriers this year and uh, just, you know, getting things adopted. So um, I think one of the real good indicators, indicators is we're working with most of the big four organizations now in the consulting world, um, and they're seeing immediate applicability across the board, not just in healthcare, but across all of government services um, and well into the private sector. So, you know, I think what you'll see this year is, you know, a list of announcements of, you know, large scale organizations and countries that are embracing pods as the right thing to do, but also because it's better business for them. They can yeah. reduce costs, you know, they can be more efficient, they can provide better products and services to their constituents, um, you know, and, and it's fairly frictionless to be able to roll out. Yeah, and it makes a heck of a lot of sense going through the big four on one hand and also that the big four clearly see value in it because they are obviously the ones that are advising on, well, they're management consultants, aren't they? So they're advising on the efficiency and the systems and the yeah. management of government organizations, places like the NHS yeah. to, um, to make them as efficient as possible and, and to modernize them, I suppose. And, and as you say, just make, give them better business. And, and that's where it seems to make sense. These folks are, you know, first of all, they're absolutely enormous organizations with a global footprint that can literally go back to every country or client that they have and say, hey, there's a new and better way to do things. So for them, it's an incredible revenue opportunity. Uh, for us, it's an incredible way to be able to accomplish our first goal was to get pods into the hand of every person on the world, uh, in the world uh, as quickly as possible. So, you know, it, it, it's a really good pair for us. You know, what we're not trying to do is come up with every use case and go out and build every application uh, you know, that exists. We're in healthcare, we're solving a real problem, but we're also showing every single person in the world how we built it and how they can do that uh, either themselves or in a, you know, tangential industry or, you know, wh whatever use case they may have. Who knows things better um, really than the management consulting firms uh, and the organizations themselves. So, you know, we don't want to be in the position where we have to come up with every great idea to use. Uh, to really create amazing new opportunities, um, you know, for their clients, for their constituents, for their citizens, um, and really help us bring the web back to its original vision. You know, it's, it's rare that we have people on this podcast that have such grand ambitions with a genuine view of actually making it happen. Like, you know, you're talking about deploying into countries, you're talking about giving people their, uh, their privacy back, their control, their data, it's, it's exciting for so many different people, so many different organizations. I think it's exciting for the entrepreneurs that are looking at this with the ability to build and the ability yeah. to create, the ability to do deals, the ability to figure out where the best value exchange can be, brand new transactions that people can siphon a bit of and create new business models. I think that is super exciting. It's all, it is, as I say, it is almost creating a, a brand new market for that stuff and at a lot of different levels. I think, yes, we can talk about deploying into countries and doing it at NHS level and things like that. But it seems to me that 
it's so much more than that. It, I suppose it's when when the inter- when internet 1.0 started, nobody really knew. There's actually a really good uh, interview. I think it was with Bowie, where he was talking about we haven't even seen all the the potential of the good and the bad that something like the interview can do. I think it was Jeremy Paxman that was talking to him saying. Like, isn't it just a new delivery system? And he's like, no, it's like a new religion. Or he said something as grandiose as that. But this, this seems like that, but not as scary. This seems like a course correction to something much better. And I think when it comes to healthcare, and it comes to all the different value propositions that can be created through better control of data from those that are creating it. I think the amount of good that can be done for the world is... Well, I don't think we know it's, it, <laughs> the extent of it, which is great. But I think it does set the rules and set the boundaries yeah. back to where everyone can start playing a bit more fair. And going back to that thing that we said before, I think it just feels like the right thing to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Jonathan, it's been a pleasure having you on. I could talk about this for days, and I think we should definitely <laughs> get you back on because there's there's loads more that we could talk about. Uh, particularly I suppose as, as you continue and you and you actually start deploying this it'd be great to get you back on to talk about it because I think yeah it, as you say it is being deployed and and in the NHS and places that I imagine I imagine can't talk too much about it right now but, but yeah. um, when it starts to scale it'd be super interesting to to get you back on to chat it through we would love to do that more than half awesome. Yeah, thank you. Jonathan, if people if people want to get in touch with you, I think it's interesting here because I think there's a lot of different types of people, a lot of different types of organizations that might want to get in touch and yeah. and and would be interested. What's the best way for them to find a bit more information about Genera Digital, about Transform, and about what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they can connect me with me through a various number of means, but uh, email is probably the easiest. So just Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N at GennaroDigital.com. Just drop me an email. Uh, happy to have a conversation with anyone. That's one thing an entrepreneur always says. You never turn down a good conversation. <laughs> it's never so know true. What come out of it. <laughs> Very few people give their own personal email on this, but um, no, good for you. Um, cool. I'll also stick the links to Genera Digital and Jonathan's contact details in the show notes. You can head to the description of the episode to see those. But uh, Jonathan, as I say, pleasure having you on. Thanks so much. Thanks, James. Have a good one, bud. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.